Hey guys, welcome to Fuck Small Talk. I'm your host, Mariah Joe, life and recovery coach. I have my master's in sociology and a few certifications in nutrition and behavioral health. I'm also a certified peer recovery specialist, which is a fancy way of saying I use my own experience with addiction and mental health to help others heal too. And I'm here to say fuck that, to fake fluffy talk for the sake of fitting in. You don't need to fit in, you belong. Let's dive into this week's big talk topic. Hello, welcome. This is episode 16 of Fuck Small Talk, and I'm here. I'm with the incredibly talented, super intelligent Dr. Megan Daly, and she is a mindset and success coach. And I met her through the world of Instagram, through a couple of different coaches that I've worked with. If you've listened to the episodes with Kelsey Mead or Courtney Playstead, um, it's definitely like the same realm. But uh, I have a couple of specific questions that I want to ask Dr. Daly specifically. So Megan, hi, how are you? Hi, I am good. I'm so honored to be on here. I think it's kind of a running joke these days, right? Like the Instagram besties that you haven't actually met in real life, but you're like, she's my people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like that's what I mean is you're the same vibe as me. We are like, I just, I mean, spiritually, like we are on the same path. We're doing the same things, but there are a couple of different topics that I absolutely want to talk with you about today because they are helpful to me in my life. And I can't help but feel that they'll also be super relatable to anybody tuning into this episode. I I kind of want you to introduce yourself to the audience. And why are you a mindset and success coach? Like, how did you become Dr. Megan Daly? The doctor comes from, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Now, most people are going to listen, hear that and be like, wait, wait, but you're a mindset coach. Yes. So if someone asks me like what I do, I'm going to say I am a mindset and success coach. And I have a decade plus background being a doctor of physical therapy, working in corporate healthcare, building up my own cash clinic to six figures. And there were a lot of things that happened around that time in like a five-year span, right? Like we don't figure out that we're on the wrong path overnight, or maybe we do, but it's going to be a long process to kind of undo it. So that was a five-year process. So my story is in 2017, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer and it was very, very, very sudden. Like we, he had back pain, went in for imaging because it wasn't getting better in PT. I actually thought, cause I'm across the country at this point, And I was like, Oh, let me see what the physical therapist has you doing. And he showed me and I was like, well, you just need a better PT. Like no wonder your back isn't getting better. And I'm so glad he didn't listen. And he went and got imaging because they found metastatic tumors all through his low back. And he was given three to six months to live. Wow. So I up and left my job. Um, I immediately filed for uh, medical leave and flew back. I actually was going back and forth. So I was his caregiver for two weeks and then flying back and working for two weeks and doing that until my license, my medical license went through in my home state of South Carolina so that I could pick up a PRN job so I wouldn't be fully drowning financially while being his caregiver and helping my family out. Um, my mom still around, but also medical professional, uh, pediatrician. So she was kind of stuck needing to work because uh, it was the same th- kind of thing. Like you eat what you kill. And so if she wasn't seeing patients, there was no money coming in. So I went back with his caregiver and to make a even longer story, a little bit shorter, I got to then listen to a lot, well, a lot of different things because he was going through grieving process. So if anyone's been a caregiver, like, you know, the turmoil that I, I went through and 
it was such a gift to not a gift to hear his regrets, but a gift to let them shine a light on what I could do better. And his regrets all centered around not living his life for himself, living for the accolades, living for the achievements, living for what society defined as success. Right. And he had just like date of retirement to date of diagnosis was a month and a half. So he really didn't get retirement. He had worked his entire life to get to this point where he could finally be free. And he didn't get that. And all the comments, obviously, like he didn't come right out and say that, but he was making comments on, I wish I could do. And then a lot of those blanks that got filled in were things that he would like to have actually prioritized doing with my mom. Things that he would, like his biggest regret was not getting to spend more time with myself and my brother. All of these things, when we get, if we think about end of life and what's actually going to be meaningful to us, I'm sorry, it's not the diploma on your wall. It's going to be the time that you spent with people, how you made people feel like those are going to be the things that stay with you. And so it was this big eye opener for me of that's what I want. Like, I don't care about the accolades because at the time I was looking for, do I go into a residency? Do I get a specialty board exam? Like there's all these different things that were all achievement based that I was in the direction of. About the same time, so I was 30 when all this happened, he passed. We actually, last week was the anniversary of his death and it's been six years. And about the same time, I was starting to put two and two together that I didn't really know who I was anymore. I feel like that's a very common thing. The more that I've talked to, particularly females around like late 20s, early 30s, we start to have this like moment where we realize that we built up our lives around the expectations of others and shoulds and this idea of checking all the boxes. And that's not what's actually making us fulfilled. And if anything, it actually got us off a path of really knowing ourselves and yeah. self-love. Like holy. And shit, so all this kind of came to a head. Yeah. <clears throat> so all this kind of came to a head about the same time. And so that led me, I actually ended up developing a self-discovery journal. Um, well, I guess first and foremost, I got certified um, in trauma and somatics as a being a trauma and somatic informed practitioner, which is the idea of being able to get more into your body, recognizing trauma and how it plays into anything, physical pain, emotional pain, how you show up in the world, everything. 100%. And so I utilized those tools plus my own journey and all the tools that I had found along the way to create the self-discovery journal. And that was the moment because at that point I had already opened up my own cash clinic and I made this journal and I remember I wrote it in like a solid 24 hours. Like it was so quick and so aligned. And it was this moment of, holy shit, that's the most aligned thing that I have done in years. What am I doing in my career? If like with this being that different, like there's a mismatch here. And so that led me on a journey to try to figure out really what was meant for me fully undo the shoulds, dissociate my identity from what I did as a career, my titles, which that's a long process, especially if, as someone who had gone to school for seven years and paid well over six figures for a degree to be able to then say like, oh, never mind, I'm not going to use that. Like that took some time. So yeah. all of that. And then fast forward within that next year, all the signs pointed towards mindset and success coach. Like, I'm not kidding when I say I started having patients that I had seen and that had followed me between clinics for the last decade start saying, oh, yeah, I'm referring so-and-so to you. 
Sure, because they have some physical pain that you can help with, but you know what? They they also have some some mindset, some some things going on in their life, and just talking to you has helped me so much. And so I recognize that you're not the other kind of therapist, but you have so much to offer from in that world that I want you to chat with them while they're in here working with you. Like multiple people made comments like that. I had multiple that were like, oh, I've stuck with you and I've stayed with you because of the mindset work and how you've helped. Like, there's just a lot of signs where it's like, huh. Okay. So I've actually been doing this for a long time, right? Because the first thing as someone with a doctoral title was like, I'm not qualified because I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychotherapist. So right. That's not my training. How, what that makes I me went qualified? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I need the certifications then I need to. And then I was like, well, that's just going back to my old programming of, I need something to solidify, like, hey, you're the person for this versus why don't I be the person that comes alongside and helps without the red tape of a license? Like I am a huge advocate for go see a therapist and mindset is a little bit different, right? Like I'm not helping you undo years of trauma, but I might be shining a light on where it's playing a role. Yes. A hundred percent. Thank you for saying that because I'm in the same spot where it's like, these are my skill sets. Like I'm not a licensed therapist, um, but I've been in reco- in the recovery coaching field um, ever since I got into recovery. And before then I was teaching at a college and teaching all about like, um, like just diversity and like understanding your place in the world. And yeah. you know, it was all different types of like, not necessarily therapy, but like these conversations and mindset shifts that you can make these light bulbs that you can turn mm-hmm. on in people's lives and in their heads and and be able to help like navigate them yep. into a like a healthier way of living. Yeah, and it's such a big thing it being how life <laughs> mental emotional health all of it is such a big thing and it's so nuanced that like it should be a collaborative team approach, right? Like go have the therapist but then also have the mindset coach and also have and I also recognize like when I say that, like that's kind of a privileged thing to be able to even say like, oh yeah, have all these things. So do what you can, like follow the mindset coach on Instagram and and get what you can out of it. Buy the psychologist's book, like whatever it is that you need to do to do better for yourself. And really deeply, like I, I tell people all the time, the first thing that you've got to know is who are you? And what do you actually want? Not what you feel like you should have, but what do you want? Because without knowing that, you're going to be on this crazy, like I, I've, I'm literally visualizing like a treasure map and like you have the X over here and you've got this like crazy swirly line that's going nowhere close to the X because you don't have a compass Yes, to go off of. And what, what, and people so ask yeah, like, it's been, well, people sorry, ask sorry. you like, what do you want? You know? And it's like, we often say what we think we should want or like what society Mm -hmm. has told us that they want from us or like especially I mean and definitely as as women like I'll just throw that out there of course like we have the you know make sure that everybody else is good before I'm good type of mentality because we're the caregivers Mm -hmm. of the world and so like like literally asking ourselves what do I want oftentimes it's like we just block ourselves we don't even know how to answer that because the first yeah thing that we say after that is like well what I want doesn't matter because, you know, and then we're like, because I have so many roles. It's so much more layered too, right? Like particularly our generation, it might be getting a little bit better with the newer generations, but females, like I'm about to be 37. And I remember distinctly growing up and not only was it this perception that like you were kind of the caregiver, 
Um, I also grew up in a very, like my mom was the breadwinner household and, but a very, like that extreme dominant, high achieving, I must win and be perfect at everything. And that's how I get ahead. And other women are competition, which is not, not a healthy, like I've done a lot of work to unlearn and relearn better, more collaborative and loving things for that. But on top of that, think about how often as a kid, like the person that kind of that we don't necessarily like wants to come give us a hug and we're told like, Oh no, you have to be nice. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much guys get that as a kid, but like, I know across the board, females get it. And so not only is it this putting others in front of you, but it's like, how could you not turn into a little bit of a people pleaser? Oh yeah. It's like boys will be boys, but like be a lady. Like I said, it's so nuanced, but it all goes into really getting overwhelmed uh, with the shoulds. And when you have shoulds brought into your life that young and you're taught that like, oh, these are the boxes that you need to check in order to quote unquote, make it or make us proud or whatever verbiage you were given there. And then what, what you hear or what you think is what you look for, right? So then it gets compounded. So over the years, and I, I really, I truly think that is why without fail, like 99.9% of the females that I've talked to somewhere around the late twenties, early thirties have this kind of like, not entirely a quarter life crisis, but this realization, hopefully I've seen women who are later in life have this realization of, wait, how did I, how did I get here? Or wait, like I did all the things like, where's my, my happiness reward. And at least thankfully, like, I feel like more and more women are kind of coming up and realizing like, huh, okay, this isn't it. And I'm not going to settle for this. Yeah. Amen. Which makes me so happy. Like, I'm so glad I'm proud of myself that I didn't settle and I will be damned if anyone else settles like that regret that I watched my dad have, like it is my mission. And I particularly feel passionate about like the high achieving perfectionist type a like females or recovering perfectionist to make sure that they undo all of those stories and do not have that regret at end of life. Yeah. I think like, I I really want to insert just a little tidbit here that I was listening to a podcast and I'm sure, you know, uh, this, I feel like it was like a really popular article um, and now book that's out. But um, this woman who worked for hospice care wrote about the five main regrets of the dying and like they're yep. they're common across the board and it sounds exactly like what your father had went through i just i have to say i'm so sorry that that is part of your story and part of his and it's gosh like the lessons that we learn from the people that we love that are i mean the lessons that we learn from people who haven't done what they wanted to do you know it's like can we can we take that lesson and can we make changes in our own life in order to live a life that's yeah. more fulfilling to us you know, and one of, um, you know, I just, I Googled it because they're so interesting to me. It was one of the most profound podcast episodes I've ever listened to. Um, I'll put it in the show notes because it was just phenomenal. But the five regrets are one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me, which sounds like what your father had said. The second one is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Um, Three was I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Four is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Yeah. 
which one could argue there's a lot of interconnectedness through all of those. Yes. Yeah. Right. There's like the common thread, like that first one even could kind of just be an umbrella for the rest of them. And that's legitimately my goal with everything that I do is so that someone doesn't have that regret at end of life, whenever end of life is for you. Yeah. The way that you teach, the way that you coach is very much like, but what do you want? Like, and I love that. It's very like, how about you? (laughs) Like, yep. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it is really cool. I think I was just saying this on another interview that I had that then it astounds me the number of women that I work with. And a lot of times it's something like I've almost deemed myself in the past. I've, I've toyed with rebranding as a clarity coach only because the vast majority of people that realize that they, that something needs to change, feel like what they need is clarity on their path. Oh yeah. Most of the time I find that like, that's what will bring them in. And then we start working together and they're like, Oh, I didn't realize how much I didn't know myself and how much mindset work was really needed. I'm like, yep. Within mindset, it really is like breaking down truly who you are and what you want. And we don't, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And most of us don't realize how deep that goes until we start getting into the work. How That's what will actually get you the clarity. Yeah. Like, so clarity, like just, it's like the treasure map, right? Like, or like just, you're going through this Mm -hmm. fog, right? Like you're going through like a super foggy adventure and you're on this quest and you keep on tripping over things and all the things and taking the wrong turns and all the stuff. And it's like, how are you supposed to get to the end? Like you are the coach that comes in and like makes it a little less foggy. So what's hilarious is when, have you ever done the the task or the drill of asking three of the people closest to you what your greatest strength is? No. <laughs> okay. I highly recommend doing that. So, and I, I did this a while back, like when I was in the middle of like trying to figure out like, okay, if it's not PT, what the hell is my path? And I reached out to the three people who truly knew me and I knew would be like brutally honest. And I was like, okay, throw PT out the window. Cause I knew people I mean, I had been that for a decade, right? If I asked this question, they were immediately going to come to me with a PT related response. So I was like, okay, at my core of who I am, what's the one problem that you would come up against that you're like, ooh, Megan's my go-to person. That's who I'm reaching out to. And essentially what I got back, I mean, I I did get one on you are the go-to person if I want to talk something through with someone without feeling judged and feel deeply seen. The other parts of it were freedom catalyst, which I thought was such a cool term. And it, what they were getting at was you help me see where and how I can be more free. right. Like all of us want time, freedom, location, freedom. Like we just freedom. want to feel seen, heard, loved, valued, and free. And then the third one that I got was you're the world's greatest resource dealer. And what that meant was you can listen to where, like, I can listen to where you're at currently. I can listen to where you think you want to go or like just brain dump what you're feeling in that area. And then I can help see where, where's really going to light you up. And then what are the gaps that need to be filled to get you there? What are the action steps for the first step to get you there? So that's like, I joked with a friend recently that I was just going to start introducing myself as a freedom catalyst and a resource dealer and see what people responded with. <laughs> no, you're literally like this adventure guide. You're like a hiking guide or whatever. And you're literally taking them through like and helping clear what it is that's like that's blocking when, it, them when you're talking the... about the fog, I legitimately visioned like a hike 
Yes. In a foggy forest. <laughs> yeah. That's how I picture you too. It's just like, you're like, okay, I don't really know the way either, but I'm your guide and here we go. And like, you know, this is the way that you said you want to go. And like, you have the ability to be able to yeah. kind of clear things out. I'm totally going to steal that analogy. Cause the other thing that like, if I were to just, if I were never allowed to do mindset coaching ever again, I would be a travel guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So that's like, exactly yeah. <laughs> the same vibe, <laughs> same thing. You know, I actually, I love that you're saying um, that women are coming to you or people in general are coming to you in their quarter life crisis era, whether they're late twenties in their thirties, maybe early forties. And they're just like, holy shit, like my life, I've been living my life for other people. And now I'm like lost and I'm kind of stuck because everywhere that I've went on this treasure map of life is nowhere near the X that I, I want to go to and that I'm meant to go to. So I haven't been reaching my mm-hmm. own spiritual destination and what's good for me because I've been trying to do all these other side quests for everybody else, making sure that everybody else is yeah. good or making sure that I do the quest that people think that I should be doing, but it's not leading me towards what actually is for me. And so it's kind of mm-hmm. like a two-part question that I have for you. Like, first of all, how do you not become like jaded from all the people that reach out to you that are in like their thirties and forties and are like, I literally, the every single day that I've been living my life, like I haven't really been living for me. Like, how does that not like feel really heavy to you of just like, okay, like in general, the world is like on autopilot a little bit. Yeah. So I love this question. And what I think is, I want to state right off the bat is this is such a perfect example of how timing is important and how in an earlier season of my life, I would not have been ready. I would absolutely not have been ready to take this on and have serve in this way. If I had tried to go this route, even six years ago, I would not be able to hold the space and hold that energy of women and people coming to me without it negatively affecting me. Right. So that all goes to energetics and having like being so good with myself and in my body and having energetic boundaries so that when people come to me, I don't take it on. I am an empathic person, but empath does not equal taking on other people's energy. It just means that you can appreciate and understand someone else's place and energy. You do not have to take it on. Can you speak on that concept? I saw you talked about it recently on your Instagram where you talked about unconditional love versus unconditional tolerance. And how they're very different. Yes. Yes. So boundaries are really key, not even just in energetics, like in general. And that's boundaries are probably one of the biggest things that I help people with because a lot of times, like why people are stuck. I mean, sometimes it's because they feel like they need clarity in order to take action. But a lot of times this goes back to like some deeper shoulds and some subconscious beliefs that are tied into not having good boundaries with other people. And, but boundaries are actually a sign of love, right? Like most, most of the women that I work with struggle with setting boundaries or they have up until they come with, to work with me because they feel like they're negative, like it's shutting people out or it's going to keep them from having a deeper connection. When in fact, the opposite is actually true. Boundaries allow a container in which the love and connection can grow even stronger because there is like very clear communication 
and you know what's a yes and what's a no, and you don't cross those boundaries. Right. It's like you're working as it a team is instead of letting someone kind 100%. of bulldoze over you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It it's like these. I love to think of it as like this yard with fences and we don't have gates in the fence. Like there's nothing for you to open and like allow extra things through, but it's the, if it's intentional, if you have this intentional container, it can become so much stronger than if you were just to spread all of that out really thin. And so circling back to what we were, what you originally asked is, Unconditional love does not mean unconditional tolerance for people breaking your boundaries. True unconditional love requires boundaries, both with self and with others. Can I ask, um, maybe could you share like a personal experience on like how you learned that or started practicing it? Because I feel like for us that are in the mindset coaching world or coaching in general, helping others, I know this personally that like, you know, I had to go through it myself in order to be like, oh shit. And now I yeah. like, can teach these things because I have personal experience with it. Yeah. So there's two examples that come to mind very quickly and they, they're probably going to seem a little silly, but you're also going to be able to see yourself in them. I'm pretty confident on that. So one of them is as a clinician. So when I was in corporate healthcare, you have to do a lot of documentation, which means you have to sit on a computer. Well, anyone who's ever had a desk job knows that when you're sitting on a computer, you're kind of a sitting duck for someone to come just try to have a conversation with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it can be really tough to get work done. And this is actually, it's something that's huge that I talk about with a lot of clinicians because I think it's a giant contributor to burnout in healthcare. And I'm sure from the conversations I've had, the same is true with like women in finance and tech. Anyone who's, when you're sitting at your desk and then someone comes up and has a conversation and then your people pleasing tendencies kick in and you lean in and have that conversation when in the back of your mind you're like I got work to do and now I'm gonna have to take it home and right like that doesn't feel good and it eats away at your time time is valuable yeah. so a boundary that I kind of unintentionally developed initially but it's like what I teach everyone now is when you're at your desk so I used a Rubik's cube because I happen to have one um I actually have a math degree from undergrad. I'm a giant math nerd, <laughs> secretly. And so I had a Rubik's Cube that was solved. So one side was red. And when I say I, I developed this unintentionally, it's because I had it sitting on my desk, but the red side was out. And one of my coworkers came up to try to talk and was like, ooh, wait, is that a, like a stop sign? And it was like, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like, you know what? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so then I developed, I, I talked to all of my coworkers and I was like, hey, I know we all feel like this from time to time. And I know I've been the one to do it to you at times unintentionally. So my new thing is if I'm sitting at my desk and the red side is out, that means I'm unavailable for conversation. I really need to get this done unless it's actually truly emergent. If it's yellow, it means I'm kind of getting the stuff done, but I also have time allotted later. I'm available for some interruption. And if it's green, it means this is my, my break, like whatever, I'm good. I'm just, I'm open for whatever. And slowly and surely, all my coworkers started picking this up. Um, now, some of them didn't. It doesn't need to be a Rubik's Cube, right? Like, you could tell people, like, hey, if there's this troll doll from my four-year-old on my desk, it means don't talk to me. Like, which I don't know why, but I've always stuck with the troll doll. I think it's hilarious of, like, this blue-haired, like, troll <laughs> sitting on your desk is a sign to, like, hey, I can't talk right now. <laughs> but I love that one because it's something that we can all relate to, that, that sitting duck. Yep. And I, and I worked at doing a, that cleared up so much time and energy. 
like astronomical, like way more than I, I expected even. Yeah. And it's even like, you know, when we hop on, it's, it's really similar as like putting your phone on do not disturb or on focus mode. You know, it's just like, Yes. You you need to, especially in this day and age where everybody's on their phones constantly. You're getting text messages and mentions and people are taking you and stuff or who knows, whatever. It's like turning off the notifications or just putting your phone on do not disturb before you go into work. That It's like those are great examples of just like modern boundary setting that we're yeah. allowed to and need I say have to set in order to be productive and do what we need to do. Yeah, and I think... Like not only, obviously it, it cleared up some of my time. It cleared up a lot of my energy because now I don't have the negative energy that surrounds that. Like, okay, I need to be doing things and this is messing it up. But like, and it clears up, right? Like you can't help but have a little bit of resentment build up if that keeps happening. And so it took all of that off the table. I don't have any of that resentment building up. That's actually a major thing, right? I think not holding boundaries creates a lot more resentment than we, than we want to or mean to. And then also I was able to better be there for my patients because now my energy is better. I can take that extra minute that I now have to fill up my own cup doing something or do a somatic practice very quickly to reset myself before walking into a patient room. I do the same thing now. Like now I I work from home or I'm at coffee shops, so I'm not necessarily getting interrupted quite in the same way. Like it's a little bit different, but I can still incorporate the same concepts with boundaries and not checking client emails or not responding to client texts except for certain times. And, but having that all set up and very clearly communicated on the front end so that they don't build up resentment because they feel now like they're not being taken care of because I didn't make the expectations really clear from the forefront. So that's one example, more of the career set of things. And then the one that kind of makes me laugh is one with my mother, right? Like family boundaries are often one of the harder ones to hold. You know, that's and very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. after my dad passed the next Christmas, I was at home and my mom loves Christmas, loves her Christmas tree, does not love the medial task of having to set it up. So since I was home, I immediately got delegated to set up her tree. This woman likes thousands of lights on her tree to the point where we have a fake tree. The lights are already on it. And then she's very systematic with her ornaments as well. So she saw me doing it in a very different way than she would do it and immediately started to try to micromanage me and told me I was doing it wrong and was standing there. And I was like, I finally stopped. And I was like, mom, I'm going to hold a boundary with you. I know the final outcome that you want this to look like. Like I, I know I've grown up in this house. I know exactly what you want it to look like. I'm going to have a different process on the how it gets there, but that's okay. If you cannot refrain from micromanaging me, then you have to leave the room and you cannot be in here until it's done. And then I promise you at the very final, if you aren't happy with how it looks, I will personally take all of this down and put it back up to your exact specifications mm-hmm. and in your how. And she got this look. Cause I mean, at this point, I think I was, I was 31. I really had not held the boundary this strong with my mom ever. <laughs> and she just kind of got this like shocked look on her face and was like, Oh, uh, okay. And like left the room <laughs> and came back when it was done and took one look at the t- tree. And like, we all know that face when someone's like, Shit, you're right. No, I <laughs> she, love it. She looked at the tree and she's like, she's like, okay, fine. It looks, it looks great. All right. <laughs> just walked away. And I just <laughs> lost it laughing. And we've been on so much of a, 
better. We've had such a better relationship since because I've continued to hold boundaries. And so our communication, therefore, has become so much better because there aren't these like weird assumptions or resentments or, well, micromanaging. Like none of that comes into play in our relationship anymore because I can lovingly hold boundaries with her. Yeah. And if the communication isn't there, how can you have a relationship, an open one, without somehow Mm -hmm. having either either someone is pushing against what you would like them to act like or be like or whatever in your life, or you are doing that to them. And without talking about what's expected or needed or wanted or whatever, like how can you call that a healthy communication or a healthy relationship when there isn't any discussion? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So that feeds right into that unconditional love does not equal unconditional tolerance. Like whatever you aren't willing to tolerate, like know your yeses and know your nos and hold to them. Yeah. And that's the hardest part is setting the boundary is difficult, especially when it comes to family and people that you're closest to, especially when you've like maybe your whole life you've been operating a certain way and have not really had a discussion about boundaries or tried to set them. But, you know, being able to, you know, have that discussion, maybe if they don't accept it, if they are oh yeah, irritable or angry or whatever it is, that the fact that you are placing a boundary, I say this often, that people that are angry with you setting a boundary are often the people that benefit most from you having none. Um, and so likely they yep. are taking things from you or getting things from you that like they know that it is more than you're able to give or that maybe a single person could or should. Um, and so I understand 100%. the frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that when like someone is like, oh, well, you know, you never were like this before or whatever. It's like, yes, but now I am. Yeah. And, and setting the boundary is super difficult, but holding it, especially consistently over time is one of the hardest things, especially when you get pushback from the other party. <laughs> Oh yeah. I recently did a podcast episode on this actually, because it came up so many, so much with a group of clients that I had that I was like, all right, there's a lot of people that need this. I'm just going to do a podcast episode on it. And it was how to hold new boundaries with old friends because it, it was coming up with like, how do I hold this boundary with someone who's known me for years and years and years. And they're now coming at me and saying, this isn't you because they knew a past version of you. And I think it's really important. It's, it's one of the hardest things because when you start to hold boundaries, there will be people who are no longer meant for you or who fight against it. Some of those people that fight against it, you can have a good open conversation and they'll come alongside you. But if they don't, at least for now, they are not meant to be in your life. And that is a hard thing, particularly if it's someone who has been in your life for a really long time. And it goes hand in hand with um, another podcast episode I've done recently. It's called The Sunken Cost Fallacy. It's this idea of... so. In this particular case, uh, the client that I was working with was like, well, I've been friends with this person for 10 years. And I'm like, and what? You don't owe them anything just because they've been around for 10 years. If they're not willing to grow and come alongside you and continue to support you and recognize that this is a new up-leveled version of you, if they're going to try to hold you back into the old version of you, then cut them loose. If they, and who knows, like, this is the other part that I want to say. So you are potentially blocking their blessing in addition to your own, if you keep them around, right? So not only are you potentially holding yourself back, but you might be holding them back because who are you to say that they don't need that trigger as 
a piece of their own puzzle and their own story in order to get the healing that they need. Now, there's no guarantee that they'll ever go on a growth path, but that's not your responsibility. Exactly. It is your responsibility to do what's best for you and just hope to God that that was the trigger that they needed to up-level themselves. Right. It's that old like corny saying where it's like, you know, if you love something, set it free. Like, you know, if it's meant for you, like it might yeah. return, you know, type thing. Um, but yeah, that's and I've had that-, that happen actually. I've cut people out of my life and then years down the road, they circle back and they're like, Hey, and they like I just had this happen recently. Someone came forward and they were like, I'm sorry for how I was then. I'm sorry for like X, Y, and Z. I've always respected you, I've always been inspired by you. I recognize that that was the best for everyone can we grab coffee? Yes. And you know, uh, with any boundary setting, especially when it's new and it's with someone that's been in your life for potentially years, you know, if you're setting a boundary that's new with them and even if they do accept the boundary, like, especially if they don't though, like there is grief that comes with setting boundaries. Like you're going to be Mm -hmm. grieving the normal day-to-day of how things were or who was in your life or who you thought maybe was on your side um, or like in your corner. Um, And it just, it can be really, really difficult going through that transition in your life when you are, like you called it, like up-leveling and just changing the way that you live your life. And by setting boundaries and saying like, I know that you're used to me acting or doing certain things, but I'm not doing that anymore. I'm really trying to change the way that I live. And this is just so common in like the addiction recovery field, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. where um, I have centered myself for quite some time now is like recovery in general, healing in general. And it just is paralleled so well with your work. But, um, you know, being able to set a boundary with someone and say, I know that we used to meet for beer <laughs> all of the time. Um, and that was like our third mm-hmm. best friend that was always with us. But now we will not be doing that. Um, and so if you want to meet me in another setting, I'm down. But it can be really hard to do that transition when other people yeah. aren't necessarily wanting to go on that journey with you. Yep. Yeah, it's it really is heartbreaking. I love the fact that you brought up the grief that goes along with that, that probably not a shocker with with my story and my dad that that is such a major major topic that I love to talk about and normalize because a lot of people through going through any kind of grief feel so alone and I think there's versions of grief that really aren't talked about or recognized enough and so it feels pretty isolating and like we all assume like no one was shocked that I was going through grief after the like the loss of my dad and holding his hand as he passed right like that's a more it's all still not fully normalized because I can't talk about it with someone not like everyone wants to come back and like show empathy and I'm like that's not really what I'm going for like I just want to talk about it yes and there's all these other griefs like the loss of a friendship the loss of who you were before you broke up with a friend or or had whatever happened the loss of the future you future friendship you thought you had with that person right like there's all these little I almost come they're almost like micro griefs and I don't call them that to lessen them because they aren't a lesser version. They are just a lesser talked about or lesser recognized. Right. And, but they're such a big component. And I think the more we can normalize and recognize those kinds of grief, the more you can feel it and allow it to move through you, which we know with anything mental, emotional, like you have to feel it, acknowledge it, and then allow it to move through you in order to move on. Yes. And that goes hand in hand. Can we circle back to 
Um, <clears throat> I just want to be really clear and be able to get yeah the, get the listeners to really understand what this sunken or sunk cost fallacy Ooh, yeah. is. So I think like it just it really parallels really well with the topic of grief that we're yeah. having here. So can you explain a little bit about this idea? Yep. So the idea of the sunken cost fallacy is that if you pivot or if you let go of something or if you change direction, then it's whatever you had prior to that is was a sunken cost and it now like was wasted time, money, energy, whatever. And that could be, so I talked about it earlier with like, oh, a 10 year friendship. If I break up that friendship, then what were those 10 years even for? Well, there's a lot, right? Like without those lessons, you wouldn't be the person that you are today. So it's not a sunken cost, but the fallacy is that we now can't pivot or leave this 10 year friendship because we already put 10 years of our time and energy into it. Right. Like you've or, already invested like so for much me, time. Yeah. Like for me, it came up majorly and I had to really break up with this idea of the sunken cost fallacy when I decided to not like, I still have a doctorate, but I just so like I took apart my identity from being a DPT, which is this degree that I spent seven years getting the degree and then 10 years in the field being building myself up as an expert in the field. Not to mention the fact that I think, gosh, I, my student loans from that are like 150 K like it's insane. And so I had to look at all of that and be like, okay, that's not wasted time and money because it set me up and got me a lot of experiences and a lot of lessons that positioned me perfectly to be the mindset success coach that I am and how I work. Like I wouldn't be the same person and I wouldn't be the same coach and I wouldn't bring the same value without all of those experiences, but it would be far too easy. And most of society would unfortunately back up the idea that, well, you spent all that time and money, so you might as well stick with it. Yes. And my question to anyone who feels like like if you're listening to this and you are thinking, yeah, well, but I, I do have all this invested, so I might as well stick it. Like if you're recognizing yourself in this verbiage at all, think about where are you from 10 years from now then? What would you be more proud of yourself for doing now? Quote unquote, sticking with it and still not feeling fulfilled in 10 years or make the pivot and have 10 years to build yourself up in this new arena that feels more aligned, more fulfilling. 100%. And this goes for like anything that you're doing, you know, like, are you mm -hmm. um, questioning this goes your... for a relationship, career, this goes literally anything, literally the location anything. that you live in. Yes. Even like lifestyle that you're living, you know, it's like, do you want to continue yeah. to do like the revolving door of like, you know, uh, like fad dieting or whatever it is, or, you yep. know, um, saying that you're not going to continue to drink alcohol or that you're done, you know, and then making the choice you know again and again to have one just one and then it always turns into something yes else. you know like it's um yeah definitely like ask yourself okay like is it harder right now to make this pivot or is it harder 10 years from now when I haven't made the pivot at all yep yeah that's such a great that whole like choose your hard I love that concept of the right path is not always going to be the easy path it might actually be a simple one right like there's a lot of things we do that are incredibly hard, but are very simple and straightforward. And it really comes down to a choose your hard. And the other question that I'd love to ask myself kind of with this jumping around a little bit, but kind of not is what would 80 year old me be most proud of right now? Yes. I think like about that looking a lot. later in your life, 
that same, it kind of, it ties into everything of like with my mission and not wanting people to get to the end of their life with regrets. Like it's kind of the same question in a reverse engineered way is what would the version of you that is like 80, 90, whatever, like whatever age you want to put with like end of life ish, hopefully I live past 80. I don't know why I stuck with 80. What would I be most proud of myself for right now? And it is going to be going in the direction that's really meant for me, not staying in somewhere that isn't just because of some perceived sunken cost. And it's really looking at your life through the lens of those five regrets of the dying that we talked about earlier. You know, Mm -hmm. what, what is going to be the answer of like, why are you here? Like, what is your life for while you're able to have life? Yep. And one of the, it can be really hard, right? To break out of the, your current patterns, or a lot of times they really are like, it's something that's been built up subconscious from childhood. That's a lot of undoing and unlearning and it is so worth it. Right. So choose that hard versus staying on some path that's not meant for you. I, I love that you brought in the, the, like the choice of like, okay, not have another drink or like the, the fad dieting. Right. So it's bringing in that concept too, that we're all familiar with of if you want something different, you have to do something different. And one of the questions that I love asking my clients or like work, like diving deep with them on is answering the question of, okay, if you can be consistent with the little like boring, like silly things, like brushing your teeth and washing your hands after you go to the bathroom, what is keeping you from being consistent in doing the things that are going to get you to where you want, you say you want to be? Yeah. Like what's the hold up there? Cause there is one, we got to figure out what it is. Right. And it's just about like, it's, it's exactly the mindset coaching that you're talking about, like reframing your mindset on like why it is that you're doing this particular thing. And um, I don't know why, uh, I don't remember what you said that brought this up, but instead of getting like a case of the buckets, I think like we just get so full of shame sometimes when we act out of alignment mm-hmm. with our goals, we meaning hi, me, um, I do this where, <laughs> where like I say, I'm going to do human. Thing. We all do it. Right. Right. We're all, we're, so we're all human. And uh, you know, I say that I'm going to ha- do this thing. Right. For instance, this morning I woke up, no, actually yesterday, yesterday I woke up and I was like, I'm going to go to the gym today because I'm starting a new workout program. And then a whole bunch of shit happened yesterday. I literally didn't have time. And I was like, okay, it's fine. I'm going to start my workout program tomorrow. It's like a brand new start. Everything's like all brand new. And I'm really excited about it. And I woke up this morning with like a massive head cold (laughs) that I've somehow been able to like manage on this call with you. Um, And it's so frustrating to be like, okay, again, I'm not doing what I said I was going to do. And so old me before any of my recovery training or coaching would be like, fuck it. Maybe I just won't do this workout program at all. And I could just spend the rest of 2023 not going to the gym at all. You know, and it's like, okay, we could go down that path. You know, um, you know, maybe you had one alcoholic drink and you said you weren't going to do that. It's like we could get the buckets and drink the whole bottle um, or go on a one week or one month or whatever bender. Or we could say, okay, I made this choice. My intuition is telling me that I didn't want to do that. How can I just readjust and make sure that I start again first thing tomorrow? You know, so I don't have to throw away this whole goal. Yes. No, I love that. I, what's coming to mind is something that I frequently, when certain, like, right, I've done this so many times with clients because they'll come and something very similar to that whether it's with a workout, whether it's with a new habit that they're trying to form, 
And particularly a lot of like type A high achieving females are like, cool, I'm ready. We're going to do the thing. And then they try to do five habits, new habits all at once. And it doesn't go well because, because you just, as much as I tried to fight that for a long time, you really do need to focus on one at a time. Like there's a lot of research backing habit formation and focusing on one. And then once that's established, then you can add the second one. Anyways, all that to say, when you inevitably have that day where you quote unquote mess up or slip back a little bit, the goal is to not let it become a landslide. Like you can have the slip back and you can say like, Hey, let's restart the next day. But if you let it become a landslide, then you're way off track. And one of the things that I, I think is really important. And I love that you brought up this like workout, a new workout program is a great example, right? Cause life does happen. It does get in the way. And it's reframing it into a want. So I think the hardest thing is anytime it's like, okay, this is aligned. This is the thing that I'm going to do. This is the habit that I'm going to fill. And then it's really far too easy to have it become a should. And have it start to sound like, oh, I should do this because I committed to it. Or I should do this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Reframe it into, I want to do this. What's, and then attach it to the why that you have behind it. That does a couple different things. One, it brings it into a much more positive light. And it weirdly kind of takes a lot of the shame out of it. Like that doesn't seem super obvious, but if you reframe it to an, I want to do this, then not nearly as much shame comes forward when something gets in the way and you're not able to do it. And it also opens up your brain to the possibility of other routes if it doesn't work that day. It's like you have this new workout program something came up, you're not able to do it, or you, you can't go to the environment that you would like to do it in. But if you've reframed it to an, I want to do this. And actually I'll bring up a second component of this. Instead of saying, I want to, but I can't go to the gym. Say I want to, and I can't go to the gym today. When you switch a, but to an, and it opens up your brain to the possibilities of finding a unconventional route. And so now maybe it's like, okay, maybe what can I find at home to pull off a version of this and at least move a little bit, even if it doesn't look perfect? Yes. That and is very like solution oriented instead of the but, which feels like a wall. Yep. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It creates that mental white space that we need. What would you say to someone who I'm not going <laughs> to raise my hand for this one? What would you, what would you say to someone who has all of these goals of like changing, like just like having a healthier, like hold on their lifestyle, on their, maybe a career transition to do the work that they have to do. Um, even someone who wants to show up more online and just share more of herself, but feels as though things like grief, major life transitions, depression, anxiety, stress, things like this, like are at the forefront of her mind. When you said high achiever, that's instantly what I thought of is like, you know, people that are in the recovery field, I feel like we, we have a lot that we're trying to sort through, especially in early recovery. And we like have all these goals and things that we want to accomplish, but the mindset, I guess, or even just like, it's the real, it's the very valid hardships that maybe you're trying to navigate through are like maybe consuming uh, too much of, or like a lot of your brain. I don't want to say too much, you know, but it's like, that's kind of where we're living. And so it's like, 
instead of shaming ourselves, like for, oh, I didn't show up yesterday on my stories um, because I let, you know, my mental health run the show or because I'm just not in the headspace or whatever. Like, do you have any, any like advice or any way that you could maybe point a client that's struggling with stuff like that? Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is actually um, the quote that you put alongside a story that you shared about jumping on here with me. And it's that I, I'm going to butcher the exact wording of it, but it's something to the effect of instead of asking yourself if you've done enough to rest, ask yourself if you've rested enough to show up fully and yes. do your best. 100%. And I have always loved that quote. And well, I take that back. Not always. When I was very much in my hustle equals productivity or equals worthiness mindset for like a long time, probably was like, I don't know if I would have even seen that quote. Um, now, I very much think that is so true and so needed. And I think it's important if you're in that headspace. So we've already kind of talked about the, the idea of like focusing on one thing. And I think that goes so beautifully hand in hand with every single day, focus on the good. Like that sounds like I, I'm not the kind of person that's going to say, oh, it's all butterflies and rainbows and don't yeah. think of the bad. I'm simply saying reframe it. And instead of focusing on, oh, I didn't get to this today. Cool. What did you get to? What was productive? And when I say productive, I include rest in that. If it's what you needed and what your body and soul needed, that is productive as all hell. Yes. So what were you able to do? And it could be like, oh, I was able to take five minutes outside for myself or, oh, I was able to rest today or hell, even I was able to zone out to Netflix for a show without guilt. Yes. That's a giant win. It is. Yes. Like, so keeping in mind, like have your bigger goals, like have something that you want to like move the needle on and recognize that being able to sit with yourself and slow down enough to be okay with yourself and work on like when we're starting to talk about depression, anxiety, like I've, I've dealt with CPTSD and I've dealt with seasonal, not seasonal situational depression. I had some major, major depression and PTSD after my dad passed that I worked through and did some EMDR for. And the hardest thing for me during that time was I remember distinctly like a even only a couple months in being like why am I not over this yet why can't I just keep going why can't I pick back up the pace and all the shame and guilt and what it took for me was really sitting in silence and deeply getting to know myself and my patterns and that's not an easy or an overnight feat so it it took a lot of reframing and relearning what was productive, what counted as productive. And so that's where the, the rest component comes in. And then focusing on, okay, what am I grateful for? What did I win at today? And letting go of the rest. The other thing that I will say, this is a, a journaling tactic, is brain dumping at the end of the night. Like if you're catching yourself thinking of all, the, especially like if you're catching yourself thinking of all the things that went wrong or the anxiety, depression, like those kind of intrusive thoughts, brain dump it. And if you're anything like me, so I have ADHD. So my brain moves a little too fast. Like my hand can't keep up. So I brain dump writing. doesn't always work super well. 
Yes. And so I will just scribble on paper. I will like chicken scratch as if I'm writing something that's illegible and just go across each line and just keep doing that until my mind starts to chill out. Yes. Gabby Bernstein it's calls weird, it rage but it on does the page. Work. Yeah. <laughs> rage on the page. Just like it does. Work. Oh, I love just that. <laughs> get stuff out. Like I love that. As soon as I heard her say that, um, yeah, I was like, that's definitely a useful tactic for me too. Because like um, one, there is like a lot of like, I think like when it's attached to mental health, um, for me in particular, like I do have a lot of, um, it's anger. Like I know it's an underlying anger where like my, like I get, um, stuck in depression or I get stuck in anxiety or that like my ADHD brain is, is going way too fast. And so it's very, it's like a normal past practice of mine before I got into recovery to shame myself for not having my shit together enough in order to like do the task at hand and do it well. Ooh. Something actually came up for a quick, uh-huh. I, I give this to clients all the time. And I used to use this all the time, even in clinical care myself for patients and then for myself in between patients, because it's a, it's a somatic practice that will kind of help reset you energetically and like reset your nervous system, regulate it a little bit. So if you catch yourself like shaming yourself or even, I mean, this also works for like, if you're taking on other people's energy, if you're, or if you're like around a lot of people and you're feeling like, you know, that kind of like buzzing feeling that you get when you've had too much input. And I feel like that's more readily happens if you're dealing with anxiety and depression. So take a second to do a psychological sigh. And what that means is a deep nasal inhale, and then a quick final nasal inhale to bring like the last little bit of air in. So it's And then you breathe all the way out, slowly empty everything all the way, all the way, all the way. And then you can hold for a second and then return to normal breathing. Now, there's really solid research to say that cyclically doing that for five minutes is actually even better than almost any other tactic you can do for regulating your nervous system. And I recognize that sometimes like I don't know about doing that for five minutes straight. I've admittedly never actually even tried for five minutes straight, but I've done two or three reps in a row. And it is amazing how much that will reset you and clear your mind. So if you're stuck in like these intrusive thoughts or thought loops, or if you just feel like energetically overwhelmed, do a few psychological sighs, reset yourself and then see what's left in your mind. Because that just clears again, like I'm going to sound like a broken record with the mental white space, but we do have to slow down in order to speed up. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And like one of, you know, one of the things that I absolutely wanted to talk about, and I guess maybe this might be like the ending segue, but I really wanted to talk about this concept of um, just like, what if what we're processing through right now, what if the hardships that you're experiencing right now, the resistance that you're feeling, the way that you're like, this isn't how I expected this to feel or to play out, or I didn't expect to be this age doing this thing. Like, um, maybe just maybe you're exactly where you're supposed to be because maybe it is like guiding you. It's something that I grappled with for a long time. Like I kind of alluded to this earlier when I was going through therapy after my dad's death and I kept saying like, why am I not there yet? Like the message that I kept getting from my therapist was you're exactly where you're meant to be. And it took a long time for that to actually sit, sink in. And for me to not resist it and be like, what do you mean? Like, I'm the go-getter. I'm supposed to like be all powerful. Like legitimately thought I was like Superman, 10 foot tall, bulletproof. Like that was literally not, not like, human. I just, yeah, 
one hundred percent. It was yeah. like, I. But what do you mean? I can do all the things. Like, why am I not just like flip of a switch back to productivity machine? And yeah, we're human. That's not meant to be how we are. And if I have learned nothing else in all of the work that I have done, both on myself and with other people, is we are all exactly where we are meant to be. And whatever setback we might be in the middle of is truly the setup. We just don't see the setup yet, right? Like hindsight's twenty twenty. You'll be able to see all the puzzle pieces fit together after the fact. And I wish I had some magical wand that would get you to be able to see the whole thing now. And I think there's a reason that we don't and we can't. I think there's a lot to be said for if we saw the final product, it, we would miss out on the lessons and the growth that we are meant to have in order to get us to where we need to be. Yeah. Which like, it kind of goes with that boundary setting too, like cutting someone off or out of your life, even just like, even if you need to reframe it and just say like, it's just for the time being, you know, that this is going to be useful. Like maybe that has to happen in order for growth to happen for you and the person that you set a boundary with, you know? And so it's like, yeah, it doesn't feel good in the moment. And I think for people that are in recovery, um, especially from an addiction, we are so used to that impulse, uh, choices, you know? And so, uh, for me, it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe the setback that you're in right now is exactly where you need to be. That kind of get, it feels kind of sticky to me just because, you know, someone Mm -hmm. making the choice to, um, go back to their drug of choice or something, or, you know, someone making the choice to just like lay down on their floor and just stay there for three days because they're letting their depression consume them. You know, like that might not be what we're talking about here. I think like it's super important to be super self-aware of what you are actively doing and how like just to get curious and be self-aware of where you're at how your active choices are leading towards Mm -hmm. you know your life today and then like asking yourself what's the next right thing what can I do even if that's asking for help asking for someone to get you up off the floor or just making sure that you're not staying stuck when you know that what you're doing is keeping you stuck yeah, I love that you brought that up because that's such an important clarification that yes, you are exactly where you were meant to be right now. And that is assuming and requiring that you are taking radical responsibility for where you're at and where you want to go and listening to the nudges from your body and your mind. And yeah, asking for help, asking for support. Like, I feel like a lot of us were brought up to see that as weakness and it's really not. It's such a strength to be able to reach out and say like, Hey, I want more for myself. And I recognize that I can't necessarily do it alone. Like um, you might've heard the quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far to go together. And I think partially that's true because I actually also believe that you go faster if you do it together as well, because the point of getting support from a friend or hiring a coach is to like, there's so many different things, but it fills gaps of where maybe you're like filling the gaps where you maybe not don't have quite as much of a strength. Talking is hard sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And also it time collapses for you. Right. So like, rather than you trying to figure it out and stumbling and getting back up and doing all of it on your own, bring someone else in that can support and be like, Hey, here's the things, here's how I can support you. And you get it done in like a quarter of the time yes. or make the move that you need to in a quarter of the time, because now you have someone coming alongside you and saying like, Hey, I got you. Let's do right. this. Right. Either a guide or an assistant or something, no matter what your goal is that you're mm-hmm. working on. So yeah, I feel that. 
this whole conversation, I just feel like I feel like every time that I end a podcast episode with a new guest, I'm like, you have to come back on just because like there's never enough time. <laughs> but this was so beautiful to have you. And I I hope that in the future we can have even deeper discussion on everything that we talked on today. It's just been gorgeous. And I, I just know that the audience listening relates to so much that you are going through currently yeah. or have processed through. So I appreciate your Thank input. Thank you. Yeah. And I would actually love to, I'll shoot you the link for it. So I've got a freebie that just like dropped into my mind that I think would be really helpful. And it's the three things to do every night to set yourself up for success the next day. And so it plays really beautifully into a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast. Oh, that's awesome. I will. Yeah. If you're able to send me a link, I could put that in the show notes and, um, you know, people can go ahead and Because that's just such a tangible like thing for people to put the things that some of the things that we've been talking about into practice, like hell, one of them on those things to do is going to be some version of brain dumping and being able to weed out what your big needle movers are the next day without overloading your to-do list so that you end up in a shame spiral, right? Like kind of set yourself up so that you can actually do the things that you say you want to do and stay focused. Heck yeah. This is beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is phenomenal. (laughs) I'm going to get at you on the Instagram and I just can't wait to see what else you do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Small Talk is produced in partnership with Be Easy Marketing. It would mean so much if you took the time right now to follow the pod and give a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'll see you guys here next week for another Big Talk topic. Until then, let's keep moving forward.